Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. Republican Congressman Devin Nunes has announced he's leaving Congress at the end of the year before he finishes his current term. KQED Central Valley reporter Alex Hall explains why. Nunes is taking a new job as CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group, a company that's set to launch a new social media platform next year called Truth Social. In a press release out Monday, Nunes said the time had come to reopen the Internet and allow for the free flow of ideas and expression without censorship. In turn, Trump called Nunes a leader and a fighter, saying the congressman understands, quote, we must stop the liberal media and big tech from destroying the freedoms that make America great. He has been testing the waters, so to speak, in this area for a while. Lisa Bryant is professor of political science at Fresno State University. She says Nunes laid the groundwork for this kind of role by filing numerous lawsuits against news organizations, or like when he mailed a pamphlet to his constituents criticizing the Fresno Bee. All of this has been to, you know, sow the seeds of distrust in media. And in that way, you can they can launch a new media outlet that says, hey, you can trust our reporting. You can trust our social media. We won't censor you. We're not the bad guys, right? Politicians are strategic. Brian says it makes sense that Nunes would consider leaving now. Although he's popular in his district, in recent elections, he's faced serious contenders, and his margin of victory has been getting smaller. Plus, the most recent redistricting maps would make Nunes's district more Democratic-leaning. If you take that into account with the fact that his district as a whole has been getting less secure and that there's a possible threat because of redistricting, it has to be a factor that's in the back of his mind. Because Nunes is leaving before the end of his term, voters will have to elect a replacement in a special election that's likely to take place in the spring. Once he's officially out, candidates who might have never had a chance to defeat him will have just a few months to make their case to voters. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. As predicted, the Omicron variant is showing up in more and more states. So we wanted to know if there's any reason to wait a little bit to get a booster shot until we know more. That's an easy question. The answer is no. That's Dr. Bob Wachter. He's a professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at UCSF. He recommends getting your booster as soon as possible. The reasons are a few. First of all, At this point, uh, Delta is 99.99% of the virus that you're likely to encounter. And the evidence is quite clear that the the effectiveness of your first two shots does begin to wear off, starts about month five, and, and then accelerates. And so the biggest risk to you in the next few months, without question, is going to be Uh, being infected with Delta. 
And for someone who's, let's say, seven or eight months out uh, from their first couple of shots, I consider them somewhere between immune and not immune. They're, they're, they're sort of in this middle zone with a single uh, shot of the old vaccine. You can put yourself back in a place where you're not only as immune as you were after your first two shots, you're actually in better shape. I think there's a decent chance that that being in better shape is also going to be very valuable against uh, against Omicron, that, that you know, it, it clearly has some ability to evade the immune system, but you want to be as immune as possible if it were to hit here. And I think it's likely to do that. Is there any hope still that we could be a three and done vaccine situation? Or do you foresee that we will be needing some kind of a booster fairly regularly going forward? I think the likeliest scenario is that we will need some boosters over time as the virus continues to evolve and as as the uh, immunity that you get from vaccination wanes. It's logical to think that, wow, you know, I got my two shots in March and I already need a booster. Is that, am I going to need one every six months? I think that's pretty unlikely. And the reason for that is, as you've probably heard, the first two shots were very tightly spaced, and that was just to get the clinical trials done and get the vaccines out as quickly as possible. And there is real value to the immune system to giving it some delay and opportunity to mature. And, you know, with all the best intents, and and, and I think it's reasonable to have done what we did, but we didn't really give it that chance with these two shots three or four weeks apart. So this third shot is not only a third shot, but it also is a, a shot after a reasonable delay. And that should lead to a level of immunity in terms of its depth and breath, breath and, and, and probably its length that's better than we got from those first two shots. But it may turn out to be that, yes, you need boosters every now and then, but rather than the same booster, you need one that's reformulated against. My hope is not just Omicron, but over time we get smarter about this and come up with vaccines and boosters that anticipate potential variants and cover all of them, even potentially before they emerge. Continuing to look forward then. So, you know, I think this summer most of us felt a nice exhale around June and then whiplash when Delta hit later in the summer. And then we had another exhale this fall as cases dropped. And now we're feeling another whiplash. So is the next sort of super variant or variant of concern going to kind of continue to lurk? Should we just get used to this whiplash? Nobody knows. I mean, I, I, I think there are very few scientists that predicted that Delta would be quite as bad as it was in terms of its level of infectiousness. One of the top virologists in the world said to me, I, I think the odds of a new pandemic, a different, wholly different infection are higher than the chances there'll be a variant that is better at its job than Delta. So I think we've all proven uh, that we need to be humble, that we really don't know that giving this virus, you know, billions of opportunities to, uh, to replicate uh, creates opportunities for new mutations. Uh, this virus is smarter than we are, and it, it's figuring out new and better ways to do its job. So I think we have to be humble and ready for anything that nature throws our way. There's anything that I've gotten much better at saying is, I don't know. So on yes, that note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Bob Wachter. He's the professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at UCSF. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. About 16% of young children in California have gotten at least one COVID shot. That's about the same rate as the rest of the country. But depending on where you are in California, vaccine uptake varies drastically. For example, here in San Francisco, about 37% of kids have gotten at least one shot, which is twice as many as in Los Angeles. And if you go across the Golden Gate Bridge, 50% of kids in Marin have gotten at least one shot. But down in the San Joaquin Valley, that figure drops to fewer than 5% of kids in Kings County. The numbers reflect a stark divide in how communities feel about protecting children from the virus. But Stanford infectious disease expert Julie Parsonet is urging her patients to get their shots. You know, you really don't want to get COVID. You know, if you can avoid it, avoid it. It's a bad disease. It, and um, I've seen all these adverse consequences in the hospital, and it's sad. It is sad when people get sick with COVID. There are some very, very sick people. And the long COVID, is it's hard to live with. And speaking of vaccines... More than 100 Los Angeles City firefighters are no longer on duty after failing to meet the city's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The policy requires that all municipal employees get vaccinated by December 18th, and those who are not have to pay for regular testing out of their own pocket. The fire department sent out notices last month to personnel who had not submitted information on their vaccine status and filed for an exemption. And as of Monday... 113 firefighters have been placed on leave without pay. If they continue to fight the mandate, they could eventually lose their jobs. About 83% of the department is vaccinated. Scientists say they've found possible evidence of the Omicron variant in wastewater in Sacramento and Merced. That suggests the variant could be spreading in those communities. KQED's Raquel Maria Dillon explains. Scientists expected to see Omicron in wastewater. They tracked Delta and other variants that way. Professor Krista Wigginton with the University of Michigan works with Stanford researchers to test sewage daily for COVID variants, including Omicron. Now we've seen it twice in Sacramento. We're going to keep looking at it in these communities. And if we see it continue to be present and start to go up, it's a really good indicator that it's circulating. The small concentration of the mutation means researchers can't yet definitively say there's community transmission. But Sacramento public health officials were notified last week. They say wastewater surveillance data is useful to monitor for variants in tandem with testing and genomic sequencing. For The California Report, I'm Raquel Maria Dillon. Californians could vote on a pretty substantial increase to the statewide minimum wage this next November. That's if a new effort can gather enough signatures to qualify as a ballot initiative. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has more. The proposed law would push the minimum wage to $18 an hour by 2026. 
Joe Sandberg, an entrepreneur based in Los Angeles, has committed to funding the signature gathering process required by the state to qualify the ballot initiative. He says minimum wage workers are barely making ends meet in California. These are the workers who cared for our family members when they were sick. These are the workers who brought us food when we couldn't leave our homes. These are the workers that are there for us at our most vulnerable moments, and they're also the people who are paid the least in our economy. Currently, the minimum wage is $14 an hour for businesses with 26 employees or more. Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez of San Diego helped push through an increase to $15 an hour that goes into effect next month. We should pay people enough that they can do a job and still provide meaningful, good child care for their children, put food on the table, put a house over their head. And these things aren't possible even with the increases um, that we've made over the last few years to get to $15. For his part, Joe Sandberg is optimistic about potential support for the initiative. Right now, there are 5 million people plus who are going to earn another $24 a day when we raise the minimum wage to $18. And those 5 million plus people are voters. And we're going to organize them to turn out and vote for this because it's in their self-interest. The campaign submitted the proposed law to the attorney general's office this past Friday. According to campaign advocates, the effort will have to garner around 685,500 valid signatures to qualify. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. More than two months after they were ordered to close following an oil spill off the coast of Huntington Beach, fishing businesses in Orange County are finally able to get back to some sense of normalcy. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has more. Donna Kalez owns Dana Wharf Sport Fishing and Whale Watching in Dana Point. When the oil spill was discovered in October, she was forced to shut down her business. It was very challenging because... Everything drops off very quickly. So when people hear of an oil spill, they cancel their plans, they cancel their trips. So for the first two weeks, it was very daunting to us, and it was scary. We didn't know what was going to happen. Kalez says once beaches in the area were allowed to reopen, customers slowly started coming back, but fishing was still not allowed. It took a whole segment of our fishermen off the water. So we have seniors and children that do anywhere from three to five-hour fishing trips, and they could not do those trips for the whole two months. Now that the customers are back, Kayla says she's optimistic that business will return to normal, too. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And some good news for today. The rain is back. L.A. did not get a drop last month, but light showers are expected today and again on Thursday in parts of Southern California. And there's a chance of rain Wednesday night in the Bay Area. And the prospects for wet weather get even better later in the weekend. Hopefully the rain will clear out our hazy skies. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, December 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. 
on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.